Higher prices are suddenly everywhere in food, fuel, housing, you name it. In fact, the annual consumer price index or CPI just spiked to 5.4%, a high not seen since 2008. Now, a growing number of economic observers see these higher prices as the predictable result of the many trillions of new dollars in monetary and fiscal stimulus issued by the world's central banks and governments in response to last year's outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. But we now seem to be at an awkward spot where this ongoing stimulus is no longer boosting economic growth much, but it is still driving prices higher rising the cost of living and exacerbating the wealth gap between the rich and everybody else. So are the central planners losing their control over the system? Um, inflation isn't just a statistic. Inflation pops up here and there. It creates instability. Um, it, it creates dissent, right? In the beginning, inflation feels good because prices go up. But then as uh, purchasing power is lagging and everybody's trying to push prices up, uh, it, creates, it creates a mess. You have a pretty big mess at your head. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make more informed decisions around your wealth. This week, we're very fortunate to be joined by Axel Merck, the founder, president, and chief investment officer of Merck Investments, and he's manager as well of the Merck Funds. He's also author of the excellent book, Sustainable Wealth. Axel has been on this program several times before. Uh, he is one of the uh, best and most connected Federal Reserve watchers that we know of. Uh, I've got a lot of questions for Axel today about the limits of central banking. I can't wait to dig into that with him. Axel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. All right, before I jump in, Axel, let me just start with a question I ask all of our guests here, just so as to not introduce any bias at the beginning of the conversation. What is your current assessment of today's economy and financial markets? Um, we're in the Roaring Twenties. We are in an economic expansion, and the Roaring Twenties didn't end so well. That's the that's the short of it. Um, uh, but we have, uh, and we'll talk about the limits of central banking and whatnot. Ultimately, we have to deal with it, right? It's an exogenous factor, so to speak. And so we have to put up with it somehow and, uh, and figure out what to do about it. And uh, one of the things I sometimes say, the best thing you can do is invest in yourself. But um, as far as financial markets are concerned, um, it's rare that you have a major crash at this phase of an expansion. But um, I know that um, many of your guests think that it's imminent. I do think there's trouble ahead. Um, uh, I think in the short term, we might get a quote unquote correction, which might even be significant. Um, but the, uh, to tell you my quote unquote bias is that um, at this phase in the expansion, um, well, uh, I, I'm not gonna encourage anybody to put the money in the stock market at this stage, but I don't think that uh, kind of the doomsday, so to speak, that some of your guests are sometimes prophesying is gonna happen in the next couple of months. Let's put it this way. Okay, okay. Um, so it sounds like you don't necessarily think the system's gonna burn to the ground in the next couple of months, but it sounds like you think there are certainly reasons uh, to be cautious. That's right. The road trail is paved with good intentions. 
But if there's one thing the policymakers have proven since 2008 is they are very good at kicking the can down the road. Yeah, don't underestimate their ability to do that. There should be a saying, you know, the market can remain uh, irrational longer than you can remain solvent. There should be some corollary of the, 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 the central planners can kick the can further down the road than, uh, you know, there's even miles of road ahead, something like that. That's right, that's right, that's right. Um, all right, well, look, as I said earlier, I'd like to focus this discussion on the potential limits of central banking. Um, you know, history and just elemental logic tell us that we can't print our way to perpetual prosperity, uh, despite the hopes of many of those currently. Oh my God, power. why not? Yeah. <laughs> I know, heresy, right? There's a multi journal just wrote an article that um, there's a new view to look at debt. It's all going to be great. <laughs> Um, well, who knows? Maybe it is all sunshine yeah. and unicorns ahead. But uh, but I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on what limits, if any, do you see as the most likely candidates uh, to threaten uh, the current plans of the Fed and the ECB and the PBOC and the BOJ? Well, not all central banks are created equal. And uh, for those who are central bank nerds, as I sometimes am, the European Central Bank announced its new vision, its new mandate, its new strategic outlay um, recently. And uh, those who paid attention may have heard talk about um, in the future QE program, maybe they only want to buy green bonds and uh, taking up a green can, Justin Sink, that was well prepared, yes. Um, but the, to, to, to do things that a few years ago, you wouldn't have dreamt of central banks ever engaging in. Um, they never, they didn't discuss whether QE should stop, but um, they say, oh, we'll only buy bonds of companies that, that certify that they are doing good for, for the world. And the reason I mentioned that in the context of your question is that the ECB um, authorization is actually far broader than that of the Fed. The governing board of the ECB can do pretty much whatever it wants if they have a two-thirds majority and if that two-thirds majority decides it's for the good of the European Union and uh, some notion of price stability, which they can define as they kind of wish, so to speak. Um, and so one of the things that has happened in Europe, as, as many people who have watched the European Union over the years, is the European Union isn't exactly known for being effective at doing anything. Um, and so the one effective body the EU has is the ECB. And guess what? The ECB has been accumulating more and more power. They have the famous uh, Draghi bazooka. They, have, they can do whatever it takes. Now they will impose a green mission. And so I think we'll all be surprised in a few years how far central banks can take their quote unquote mandate. And as far as with the ECB is concerned, well, they, they apparently have the legislative mandate to do what the heck they want to do. Um, and, and not being accountable to anybody really. Um, the Federal Reserve is a little bit more confined. And so when the Federal Reserve bends its rules, um, it takes more linguistic arithmetic to justify the latest step on the slippery slope that they're on. Um, but ultimately, I mean, we, we love to blame central banks for everything. And I can blame central banks for everything, for the increasing wealth gap, for the election of populist politicians, anything, any path you want to take. But in many ways, central banks are, of course, a reflection of the fiscal state that we are in. Right? Central banks can do a quote unquote good job um, if 
we are on a sustainable fiscal path. And when we are not, then central banks have shown over and over again that they bend the rules to accommodate the fiscal authorities. And All right, so and, and sorry to interrupt you, but just for our viewers that aren't as steeped in fiscal policy as you and I, uh, is it fair to say that you do not think we are in good fiscal shape when you look at the major world governments? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and uh, and the, I, I, the, the one mantra I've had, and uh, ever since the financial crisis, I have argued the best short-term policy is a good long-term policy. And I think I mentioned on your program last time, uh, Lagarde, head of the ECB, said quite the opposite. It, we cannot yet focus on the long-term. Well, that's the worst possible thing you can do. And of course, on the, um, I read a, uh, a very, very depressing book. Um, I, anybody who should read that needs to take out some, some suicide insurance uh, before doing that. It's, it's the, the high cost of intentions, um, of good intentions. It's the history of entitlements in the US. And uh, what's depressing about it is, we, we all know that our entitlements in the US are not sustainable, but what's depressing about it is, uh, John Cogan, I think is the author, um, he, he goes through history and, and shows a pattern. It shows a pattern how it doesn't matter who's in government, how we are on a path to constantly expand entitlements. And of course, as, as great as it is to, to live in Nevada, there's of course a cost associated with that. And so whenever any of these programs make a little bit of money, you spend more and you, you add other groups that, uh, that are always ever more deserving of getting some benefits. Um, and, and so we are on a slope where, where fiscally, um, it's just very, very difficult to get back to, to anything that's somehow ordinary. And uh, at least in, in Europe, the uh, Greece, was kind of stopped by the difficulty of getting access to financial markets. But of course, when you have your own printing press, printing your own currency, uh, the limits are far, far further away. And so I'm actually more concerned about, because the, the policymakers will kick the can down the road, but what's gonna happen, you're gonna have a, a disintegration of the fabric and society along the way and, and elect popular politicians and, and come up with counterproductive things that got to um, hurt us more. And so that's really what I'm concerned about, how this is all going to evolve. It's, it goes way beyond um, just thinking that, hey, you're going to make some money in your 401k or make money in the, in the S&P the next week. Uh, got it. I'm so glad you already went there. Um, I do want to dig more deeply into those areas. Um, you know, the social ramifications, the uh, future of the currency's purchasing power, et cetera. Um, quickly before we do, I, I want to I, I go through this, this one path to get there. Um, uh, first off, we interviewed Dr. Lacey Hunt, who I believe you're familiar with his work, Axel. Um, we, he keynoted the Wealthion conference that we had back at the beginning of, of June and did a, a really excellent job going through a bunch of data um, uh, ultimately making the longer term case for, for deflation, but um, uh, he, he showed how in, in sort of his, from his perspective, the Fed is increasingly pushing on a string here where uh, you, know, you look at the tremendous amount of stimulus uh, and an increase in money supply that's happened over the past uh, year and a half. Um, but at the same time, uh, you're seeing that money is really not making it out into the official economy. It's pooling up largely inside the banking system. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, you know, bank, while it's pooling up inside the banks, on a relative basis, they're, they're lending 
has been going down and the velocity of money has been dropping off of a cliff. So, you know, sort of what Lacey was talking about by pushing on a string is it's sort of beginning to look like the Fed can, can print however much new money it wants to, but it can't guarantee that that money is necessarily going to get out into the wild and stimulate growth as desired. Are you, do you see things similarly as he? Well, it's, it's the theory that obviously you can't, you can take a horse to the well, but you can't make it drink, right? right. Um, and so that's, that's classic central bank theory. Um, in the meantime, of course, yes, uh, they, they have this money sloshing around the reverse repo facilities. I think at the end of the quarter, they went up to a trillion or so. Uh, it's money that doesn't want to go anywhere. And the Fed is kind of babysitting it saying, hey, take that money, take that money, make it go somewhere. Uh, doing the what I think would be the reasonable thing is to just simplify all these programs um, is, is not exactly in, in the cards. Now, I, I would have agreed to, to this notion that the Fed cannot do anything in a traditional monetary framework, um, but we are not in the traditional monetary framework. As uh, anybody has noticed, is there are discussions now about a central bank digital currency. Well, that makes it very easy to debase the value of a currency um, on, on very on, on instantaneously if they want to. So that can provide a tremendous incentive to, um, to, to actually have people spend it. And so, and so, yes, in a classical setup, you cannot induce inflation as a central bank, um, but there is, there is plenty they can do if they really want to. The question is, will they cross those Rubicons right, as, they, as they come along? Um, the same with, uh, you say, hey, it's gonna end in deflation according to some folks. Sure, if the central banks are standing by the sidelines, um, deflation is the outcome of the market forces. Um, but the reason why inflation wins anyway is because policymakers will not accept that. They cannot afford a deflationary implosion. And, uh, and sure, it might need some fiscal um, thunder to get that done, but those boundaries are ever murkier. And so I wouldn't, I, and I just mentioned the example of the ECB that, uh, that can pretty much do whatever it wants, right? Uh, and so similarly, if there's one thing we've learned in the pandemic, is that deficits don't matter, right? We spend trillions. Well, um, the kind of the, the the next form of entitlements might be basic income, right? You just give everybody some money to spend. Why not? Um, and, and so we'll all rationalize it away and why it's all good for us and everybody will live happily ever after. Um, whether it will all end in deflation without inflation, I don't know. It's it's a it's a scenario. It's not my most likely one. Got it. Well, so a couple quick things. Um, you know, first off, uh, Dr. Hunt ended by saying, uh, "Look, if you follow all this data, it's hard not to conclude that deflation is going to win out, unless, in his words, they change the mandate of the Fed and then it's able to directly uh, monetize its liabilities and convert them into legal tender, right? Which is sort of essentially what you were just talking about there with the uh, the central bank digital currencies." Um, so. Uh, you know, I think Lacey would agree with you if they do make that policy shift. And my question for you, you may know the answer to this, Axel. Um, sounds like the ECB may already have the power to do that. For the Fed to get the power to do that, is that a unilateral step they can take themselves or do they need to get approval from Congress? Um, not that I don't think Congress wouldn't give it to them, but, but do they actually need to be empowered to do it? So A, the ECB has some things that speak against it but others that say yes, and the, probably the Germans are gonna again raise their hand, no, no, you must not do this. But ultimately the, uh, the German 
um, Parliament is probably going to then just uh, nod off and say, "Yep, this 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 is going to this is going to be just fine," and they'll only do it after it's been introduced for a few years. In the U.S., um, yes, the central bank digital currency. Some folks at the Fed have indicated that they can probably not do this unilaterally. Um, they need Congress to agree, and and so similarly, um, you would think that they should get permission. From, um, from Congress to, to kind of step more onto fiscal turf and do certain things. Um, I'm not gonna convince that it's gonna happen. I mean, in my view, buying mortgage-backed securities, um, that was the first thing is already, is already crossing the boundary of what the Fed authority is. But Congress never passed a law that they can do it. Um, and so similarly with many of these QE programs around the world, they're really pushing the envelope and, uh, and then you ask for forgiveness later. And okay, so, so it really is more I'm, of a ask for forgiveness rather than permission kind of pattern here? Well, we'll find out, right? I mean, there will be folks like us saying, no, no, you can't do it. Well, um, last time I checked, the Fed isn't exactly checking what I say before they make the next decision. Shocking. Um, hey, so uh, you mentioned something earlier, if we could just spend a, a quick minute on because it's in the news a lot right now, and that's the reverse repo market. Um, uh, Credit Suisse's Zoltan Posnar has been in the news a lot uh, recently because he's closely tracking this market, which has suddenly just exploded to over a trillion uh, every night. Um, and I think people are kind of reading these headlines but they don't really know what this is. So can you very quickly just describe what the reverse repo market is, um, how it works and what, what's going on there right now? In plain English without putting your audience to sleep. <laughs> um, it's a tough order. Let's just say, let's just say in the old days, um, the Fed would manage interest rates by actively intervening in the markets. And so there would be an open market desk and they would buy and increase to, to set a market rate. Um, some folks at the Fed have decided that's all too complicated. Um, we can do this by paying interest on excess reserves and then by just having auctions where we mop up the money. So it's a little bit like a vacuum cleaner that sucks up the money um, and uh, one of the things that the Fed has done is because the traditional channels are not big enough to get this done is rather than just uh, dealing with the big banks, inviting mutual funds and some other bigger players to participate in these markets. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's, think of it as a vacuum cleaner, I guess, to, to mop up um, liquidity and, uh, and, and um, that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, you probably have a more more scientific explanation that you can get from somebody, but I, I think it might get too complicated. Okay, well, he, here's why I'm asking the question. Um, you know, we, we have just pumped several trillion dollars into the system since the coronavirus hit a little over a year ago. Um, and that's probably responsible for more money sloshing around out there. Um, but I have also read, and you tell me if this is correct or not, that this may also be a sign that, that you know, banks can lend in the overnight market. Um, but it seems that a lot of banks now are preferring to use the overnight reverse repo uh, instead, meaning it, it could be a signal that banks are less trusting of one another right now. Well, but of course, the, the Fed is, is your risk counterparty, right? And, and by the way, um, these reverse repos, they're all just overnight, right? It always, you roll it over day, a day, a day, a day. 
And so that's the typical, I mean, there are the reverse repos, but the typical setup is, is to have these things overnight. Um, and, and yes, I mean, if you, you have a choice on what you do it with. Now, there are some technical details. Um, if you're a very small bank, it, this isn't much money, right? I mean, everybody knows you get pretty much zero on your account. And, and so it, it needs to be worth your effort. And, and there it might just be easier to deal with the Fed than trying to find a, a basis point more um, somewhere else in the banking system and so forth. It's the bigger bank that can be more efficient about um, going about some of these programs. And then the end of the quarter is always a little bit special because everybody does some window dressing. A lot of the regulatory reporting items um, require that you hold your, your financial state in a certain state and you're going to publish them. So you're going to shuffle some money around. Uh, so there are lots of minute details that drive that. But ultimately, I mean, the, 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 the short of it is, yes, this money has been pumped into the system, but it doesn't go anywhere. And, and for whatever reason, the Fed is all gang ho that they need to print these billions every month. I mean, just think about it, right? This economy is opening up. Um, it's, it's like, I, I sometimes like to make the example when, when you've broken your leg um, and the cast comes off, do you start walking slowly or do you immediately run a marathon? Well, in the US, they seem to think, or in, in monetary policy, you think, hey, after you break your leg, yeah, you put on steroids so that you can go and, and run, a, run the sprint right away. Um, and, and obviously we have all these, these challenges in opening up the economy. I would allege that if you didn't print all this money, that things would still be opening up. Still would, they, things would still be improving, but maybe we wouldn't push supply chains to just as much an extreme. Um, and so rather than having a path to normalcy, they just uh, they push the pedal to the, the metal and, uh, and, and everything is going to be just great. Okay, um, so let's, let's now talk about um, the potential to start unwinding what's been done. Um, so- Why would they do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, we've had past analysts on this program um, thinking about folks like Luke Groman, who have predicted that rising inflation uh, is going to eventually force the Fed's hand to tighten at some point. And we've certainly seen a big spike of inflation uh, since the beginning of this year. Uh, you know, folks can debate whether it's going to be transitory or not. I think we are seeing some signs. Uh, that, that parts of it have been transitory. Uh, I'm thinking about lumber, which I think just uh, fell down to a price today where it's now actually negative for the year. So that the massive spike that it had this year is now already undone. Um, but will there be persisting inflation beyond this? Probably, again, smarter folks than I can debate it. Um, but uh, uh, if the Fed did tighten, that certainly could be a contender for the pin that, that deflates the, the current asset price bubbles that we see kind of all over the system right now. Um, we have seen more chatter in the media and in the Fed itself about the potential for tightening down the road. Of course, they still haven't yet. And as far as I know, they're still uh, you know, making purchases to the tune of $120 billion every month still. Um, what is your outlook? Do you see the Fed actually beginning to tighten from here, or is this just your classic jawboning? Depends on your definition of tightening. Um, they did tighten last uh, time Powell had a press conference, and indeed some people have said that they're being too, too tight already. Um, and uh, the, the reason why people said that is that short-term rates, short-term as in two years, three years out, started to go up, and longer-term rates started to go down which means the market said the Fed is going to be so hawkish that 
we're going to be killing off his recovery and the long-term growth potential is reduced. So that was the reaction to uh, Powell's latest press conference we had a few weeks ago. Um, since then, that has, has normalized again. Um, All right, and I'm sorry, Axel, did, did he announce anything then? Or was it just, I mean, did he take any, any different action or was he just again sort of- No, this, this is- Job uh, about the Nowadays, future. the announcements is the forward guidance is the yeah. talk. No, he, he said they're all freaking out about these higher inflation readings we have. He didn't use the word freaking out, but that's what it sounded like when, when, when he was talking. And, and, and as you pointed out, right? I mean, everybody knows, and as we're talking, highest CPI numbers in, in many years have been, been announced. Uh, some of that is the year-over-year -year comparisons, but other items um, might be more persistent. Like when wages go up, it, it tends to be more persistent. Um, but the, ultimately, one of the, the new framework of the Fed is this, this, this backward-looking averaging of inflation. And so, but they don't really define what that is. And uh, if you look at inflation, no matter how you measure it, uh, CPI, core CPI, uh, PCE, course PCE, any one of these measures over the past two years, three years, four years, if you average them out, each of them is at 2% or higher. And the Fed said, we need to somehow get average inflation rates to be at 2%. Well, if they believe what they say, they should be ready to tighten now. But of course, they're not being precise of how many years they mean. And of course, they only say that because they want to keep rates low. They want to keep rates low until we reach full employment and then some. Um, and the problem with that is, of course, if they stick to that, you're going to have to be super fast and tightening to kill off the inflationary pressure. But, but back to your question of whether the Fed changed anything, well, I'm sure you have discussed on some of your programs. Um, once a quarter, the Federal Reserve publishes where each FOMC member thinks rates are going to be. And guess what? Some folks at the Fed think, oh, maybe this recovery is going better than expected. And so the famous dot plot shows a higher rate path. And so that's then interpreted as suddenly the Fed being very much into tightening mode. Um, ultimately, it depends what power wants. The Fed chair being overruled rarely ever happens. Um, and they have two things to keep in mind. In, in August, we have a Jackson Hole meeting where there's an opportunity for Powell to announce a policy shift. And the other one is next January, Powell's term is up and uh, who knows whether it's gonna be renewed, but uh, some new sheriff might come to town and, uh, and then we have to reassess uh, the wonderful printing press who's gonna be in charge of it. All right, um, I got a couple of questions I have to ask then. First off is uh, place in your bets. Uh, does Powell get renewed by Biden or is there a new sheriff? Excellent question. Um, I'm not convinced he's going to get renewed um, because he has done the tough job of getting us through the pandemic. And so maybe um, maybe we need somebody new. And uh, ultimately, I think Biden is going to defer to, to Janet Yellen. And, uh, and so we might, we might get a new face, right? I mean, we have a lawyer right now, so who knows what sort of person we'll get. Um, so I wouldn't count on, on, on somebody new. And if we get some sort of uh, technocrat, I have no idea what they're gonna rely on. Um, it seems like everybody at the Fed is on board with the sort of policies we have right now. Um, it seems like the school of thought is that unless you are um, out of people to employ, you cannot possibly have inflation. Um, when people ask me, 
what am I concerned about? I'm uh, sure I don't like inflation being at over 5% right now. Um, but some of that is the opening of the economy. I think we'll work through that. I'm much more concerned about that later wave when or if we are able to, to get the economy to really go um, and get people back into the workforce, how are, you, um, how are you going to be able to kind of to, to do this without having a serious problem at your hand with, with inflation? And as a reminder, um, inflation isn't just a statistic. Inflation pops up here and there. It creates instability. Um, it, it creates dissent, right? In the beginning, inflation feels good because prices go up. But then as uh, purchasing power is lagging and everybody's trying to push prices up, uh, it, creates, it creates a mess. You have a pretty big mess at your hand. Um, and uh, I don't know, I mean, I, um, I see it in our own hiring efforts. Um, uh, in fact, I'm just negotiating a hire right now. And, uh, and, uh, and guess what? The person wants more money. <laughs> and, and so that's obviously in everybody's right uh, to negotiate that. And, and we're, not, we're not hiring people at minimum wage, but, um, and that's, uh, it's all good, right? It's, it's ultimately I who have to agree to it. And, uh, um, but um, those are prices or, that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have dreamt of paying. Okay, um, got so many questions, so little time left. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get to your inflation concerns in more in just a second, but real quick, um, before we leave the topic of tightening, uh, if the Fed did want to, did, did feel they needed to, to tighten, uh, quote unquote, um, what do you see as more likely? Um, a, a, a reduction in purchases which really is sort of a, a dis-easing, um, or uh, do you actually see you know, actual higher rates as likely? Well, if it's, I mean, history is any guide. Is, uh, first, they announce the tapering. Then they will stop buying, but reinvest the proceeds of maturing securities. And then they have a long debate on whether they should let the portfolio run off. Last time around, they did that, then they regretted it. So I'm not sure that they'll even do that. Uh, so they might, as an alternative, then start raising rates. Uh, the question is, of course, how far they can go, right? Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, we see the 10 year at, at 142, 1.42%, uh, right? I mean, that kind of suggests where we're going to be in, in 10 years in, with rates. Uh, that's not exactly very high. Um, the problem is, of course, that corporate America is geared up to the nose. Um, consumers are actually in pretty good shape right now. Um, they, consumers are doing quite well right now. And so consumers are able to take it better than, than, than businesses can. But ultimately, it's businesses and banks, uh, banks most notably, that the Fed worries about. Um, and, so, and so, yes, I mean, they, they think, I mean, the Fed actually is honestly probably convinced that they can tighten if they wanted to. The problem is that the the market will have a fit potentially, and and then what, right? And then they have to do a U-turn, and they're very similar yeah. of the 2018 tantrum. Well, and, and that was sort of my last question on this topic: is 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 tightening? Uh, how how credible really is a tightening program for the Fed? We hope you've been enjoying this excellent interview with Axel Merck. The interview continues over in part two, where Axel shares his growing concerns of the undesirable social consequences that he sees current central bank policies are creating. Also, given his expertise as a currency fund manager, of course I had to ask him about what impact today's negative real interest rates will have on gold. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below. 
or go to youtube.com slash Wealthion. But before you go, please don't forget to click on the subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. It only takes a second and it really helps us out, as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts we're able to attract to come on this program in the future. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who takes into consideration the macro risks and opportunities mentioned here by Axel, simply go over to Wealthion.com and we'll set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our interview with Axel Merck. Thank you.